and welcome back to another episode of Artist Avenue. In this episode, I am talking to the glorious Leroy Boone. Born in France, Leroy started his dance education at the Regional Conservatoire in Toulouse. He then went on to join the Paris Opera Ballet School from which he graduated in 2013 and he finalized his professional training at the Ballettschule des Hamburg Ballets in 2015. Upon graduation, he joined the Hamburg Ballet John Neumeyer, in which he remained for five years, gaining high-level professional experience through ensemble as well as soloist roles and taking part in the company's acclaimed world tours. In the midst of his professional ballet career, Leroy furthered his artistic education in the disciplines of singing and acting through attending summer intensives and private singing classes, leading him to successfully audition and to joining the MA for Musical Theatre at the Royal Academy of Music in London. Before we dive into Leroy's beautifully unique journey, I would like to remind you that due to the current circumstances, we had to record this episode remotely via Zoom. Therefore, the quality might suffer at points. Nevertheless, please keep listening. I always say that for a 2021 podcast, it's content over technical quality. So without further ado, enjoy this glorious episode. Welcome to Artist Avenue. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled to have you on today. <laughs> Yay. Should we start with a little introduction? Do you want to tell us a bit about who you are and what you do? Sure. So my name is Leroy Boone. I'm a ballet dancer professionally and I started training this year at the Royal Academy of Music and Musical Theatre. So I'm at a sort of a, of a crossroads in my in my artistic development so I would say I'm a classical dancer because that's my profession, but I'm training to be a singer and an actor at the minute. Yeah, and I'm from France and uh, yeah, you can use the pronouns he and him with me. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> can I just say, I love your name. I've always loved your last name. I was like, Boone. It's so punchy. It is quite punchy, isn't it? I do well. It's, it's my real name, believe it or not. Is it French? It's American. So my father is American. Half of my family is in, is in America. So I have I have quite a quite a mixed background in terms of ethnicity. Um, it doesn't show so much because there are so many different you know inputs that it sort of blends in something that is quite I would say generic. Because when I when I have to describe what my appearance is, it's very hard to say half something half other. Um, so my dad's dad is Afro American and my grandma is Swiss German actually. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> and my grandmother on my mom's side is half Moroccan. And then the rest of the family is French. Um, but so it's like this little mix, but my, my name comes from America. And then they try to match it with a first name that would sort of make it work because it's such a like explosive boon. <laughs> so they try to make something that has more substance to it. <laughs> I love that. I, I had no idea. And I love hearing about all the little cultures that are part of someone. So that's, that's exciting. Yeah, it really is. Because even someone who, who's, who seems Asian can have so many Asian backgrounds. And it's such, it's such a rich richness. Is richness a word? <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> okay, great. Well, um, yeah, it is, it is really exciting. It is really exciting. Wonderful. Um, do you want to take us back to your beginning, your once upon a time? Once upon a time, there was a little boy who grew up in a family of artists. Both his parents are actors. Do you want me to keep going in this third person? Yes, <laughs> oh, this <God>. is absolutely <laughs> fabulous. <laughs> okay. Once upon a time, um, little Leroy used to go on tour with his parents with their production, with their theater production, and he would spend most of his off time at the director's table with his father, um, watching the rehearsals and watching his mother be on stage and then watching his father join her in some productions. And he would take off school when he was very little to go touring with them and, and to spend time in theaters, in rehearsal rooms, you know, backstage. And actually the joke is that the first time I was backstage when I was three weeks old or something like that, they had to bring me backstage because they were doing a reading. And so they had staged the reading so that each time an actor didn't have to be on, they would come back to check on me and then they would have to go back to the reading. So the stage was always present in my life, very, very present in my life. And 
the question was more whether it it, it wasn't whether I would be on stage. It was how I was going to be on stage and what was my what was my expression modus going to be. And very early on, I I wanted to dance. And I really can't say where it came from. I just remember wanting, wanting to dance. Um, and my father th- sort of pushed it back for, for quite some time because he knew how demanding dance was to the body and especially of boys and how growing up could be difficult on the body, etc. But I, I, pu- I pushed so much for it that my mom just decided one year, you know what? I'm just gonna write him up for a dance class and I started dancing when I was seven. That's brilliant. So you were basically like born into the creative family. <laughs> I Absolutely, absolutely. I remember being, you know, in their dressing rooms and watching my mother do her makeup and like her teaching me and always having talks about, you know, literatures and plays and, you know, uh, productions and, and staging and, and set and going with my parents to, you know, get the set from somewhere and go with them to their costume fittings and all of this and all of these people, you know, when you're small, all of these people that are in your proximity become sort of your family as well. And they're, they're your whole universe because that's all you know. So yes, basically this, the world of the stage was was my world and what it's it was a long time until I realized that other people didn't have this way of life in the theater all the time so yeah that that was that was my normal that has always been my normal that's amazing I love that um how did your journey then evolve into getting into dance school and continuing from there I think I think everything sort of sort of pieced itself together you know very naturally I started doing more and more, I think I was well accompanied. I had good teachers who saw potential in me. So in my very first school, my my dance teacher said, you know, he needs to do more. He's gonna be bored here very soon, so he should pursue more. So I joined the conservatory in my city where I, where I lived in Toulouse in the Southwest of France. And then I spent seven or eight years there and just went from, you know, it just was very gradually more and more and I liked it and I enjoyed it and I guess I was good enough at it that it was actually pleasant to do and there was a there was a moment where it became the question whether I want to take it seriously and pursue a bigger school a more professional school or whether it stays as a hobby and I keep it in a small school while doing while studying full time on the side but very early in middle school already I was part time school part time dance I I was in a school that that was giving some of its lecture time to to the conservatory so that you could go to school, to dance school instead of of some classes uh, not instead I still did the normal program of of normal you know students but I had more time devoted to to dance and at that point the school was joined dancers and musicians so I already had this sort of this exposure and also this joint this joint enthusiasm towards the arts where we were all doing different things but all converging on like in the same direction that was already taking it more seriously it felt like dance was was really a choice and was really installing itself in my everyday sort of routine and so when I was 14, at the end of middle school, I decided that I wanted to audition for, for ballet schools and that I wanted to, to pursue this professionally and to get professional training. So I went up to Paris and auditioned. And I got into two schools, actually. Um, I got into the National Conservatory in Paris and into the Paris Opera Ballet School. And I never thought I would be that the Paris Opera was something for me. In France, it's such a big thing. It's such a myth. This institution is such a legendary thing. It's such an entity on itself. And the criteria to get in are so strict. When I was a kid, I was like five centimeters too short and five kilos too heavy to get in my whole my whole childhood. So it was like, it wasn't even on my radar. And it was just when I decided to really look into professional schools that I realized, wow, actually, I'm not too old. And I'm I became you know, the right proportions to get in. So why not try? And I didn't really believe in it. And yet I sent a video um, recording and then, oh no, first I think I sent a, a file. They then asked me to send a video and then they invited me. And when they invited me to audition, I thought, oh, we're going to be, you know, a thousand boys my age. And we were actually only three. And 
we were invited to take a class with the with the actual class of our age that was enrolled in the school already. So we were just three guests in that in that class, and we all and we all got offered a, a spot at the end of the class. So it was just really, it it was very surreal. It just it just happened in a way. And the other the other school I auditioned for was a much more tedious process. It was really a, almost like a company audition. They had us all take a normal class, and then they taught us variations, and then we had to like perform them on the spot. And when you're fifteen, that's that's already a lot to do um, to have all that. And then somehow it just after that. It it was sort of obvious that I was making it a profession. It was sort of obvious that I'd gone so far and I'd done so much that it was the the road was sort of clearing up and and it felt natural in a way. Yeah, of course, that's exciting. That is brilliant. And did you <laughs> did you pack up your stuff and like move to Paris then, or were you allowed to like live at home and commute to the school? So, I I used to live. Seven to nine hours away, um, depending on the, the 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 mode of transportation. So there was no way I could have stayed in Toulouse and and gone to the opera. They have a they have an internat. They have a they have a boarding school. Um, so I could have joined the boarding school, but I think my parents were smart enough to decide for my father to move with me to Paris because his his life was more his work was more in Paris anyways. But he decided to move with me, and so. I was lucky enough to be at home with my dad, even if it was a big move still, because it was a different city and it was it was a, a whole new level of of dancing and of competition. It was a whole new level of life. But I was lucky enough for my father to move with me to be able to live at home and commute to the school um, in Paris. Hmm. And how was it then pursuing that vocational professional training? How long did you stay with the Paris Opera and? Did you have any challenges that you had to like face and overcome? Oh boy! <laughs> <laughs> oh boy! <laughs> um, yes, yes. It's it. It was. It was very, very, very intense. I I joined the parrot. So I joined when I was fifteen, and the school actually starts when you're eleven or under. Kids join between like, I think almost eight and 11, depending on the case. Like there are some rare cases where they join really, really young. And so for most of them, they had spent already like four to five years all together. Like they all knew each other for all that time. And they had all been in the boarding school together, in all the academic school together. They had done their, their dance classes together. So there was this sort of, this sort of mainstream sort of training that had already been in place for all my all my classmates for such a long time. So when I joined, I had so much to catch up on. And there is a rule in the Paris Opera Ballet about um, age limit. So for each class, you have to be a certain age on the 1st of September. So that's kind of their way to regulate how many people they can have in a class. So in a way, if you if you're too old, you either have to go to the next class or you have to back up and go home, basically. And my big problem is that I didn't really have the level, the dance level, the technique level to be in my age group, but I was too old to do the age group underneath. So I started the year in the age group underneath, knowing that I would have to go to my age group during the year. So I found myself, after being in Toulouse, almost not the only guy in my class, but almost the only boy. We were maybe three or four by the end of my training in, in Toulouse. I I went from that and like getting all my, all the big schools in France, because basically the two schools in Paris are the most prestigious ones. I got to choose which school I wanted to go to and I felt like a million bucks. And I went into the this new school feeling like I was gonna overcome everything. And I arrived in that in that class where the youngest boy was 12 and I was three years older, and I was the absolute worst. I was the absolute underdog of the class. And I knew that I had by December to have caught up not only the level of the class, but the level of the next class to join them, which I didn't really achieve by December. I had to do another two months in that class, and then I 
at, at the moment where I finally caught up with my class, I had to go to the next level with the boys that had had a whole year more than I had. And they were, you know, all miles ahead of me. So again, I went to from the very bottom of the class and tried to catch up. So it, it was it was very strenuous. I spent three years in the Paris Opera and it, it was it was quite difficult. I, I have to say it was it was it was sort of hardship after hardship because after that I got injured and my relationship with my teachers wasn't always great. I didn't really feel like I was in my place in Paris Opera. So it, it was it was a tough road. It was a tough road, but it, it taught me a lot in a way um, to overcome and to persevere and to you know keep headstrong on your on your on your goals and on your aims but it, it was it was difficult it was really difficult mm. no I can't even imagine but like <laughs> it is it is that discipline isn't it that you do learn and like you take with you for your whole life whatever you end up doing in a way absolutely and it's it's um it's it's a rigorous it's rigorous training that you have to decide to commit to and it's from a very young age as well. I mean, I joined quite late, so I had to catch up also with that sort of uh, mindset of saying every day go to class. Because before that, my dance training was intensive, but in Paris Upright was really intensive. So it was this new thing of sort of letting childhood behind and sort of being already like like a professional athlete already. Um, so for sure, that's something that I'm taking away with me and that I, that I apply to other things. Yeah. Cause I mean, you had to like, just switch basically from one day to the other to live and breathe it the whole time. And like, it was like your whole new normal in a way, wasn't it? Like wake up, go to ballet school, ballet, 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 Absolutely. Dinner, sleep, and it, wake up. <laughs> it got, it got actually from Paris Opera was still sort of a, sort of an in-between because I still had academic academic classes in the morning so I still had the the whole normal schedule as other kids would have in a whole day but condensed in the mornings so I still did my baccalaureate as every other schoolboy in France and I had dance only in the afternoons and just from Monday to Friday and then when I graduated from Paris Opera I didn't get in the in the company but I joined the Hamburg Valley School to sort of further my training and to sort of finally catch up with those years that I wasn't really allowed in Paris because I was too old for their rules. So when I got to Hamburg, this was every day, all day, from 9.45 to like 7 in the evening, Monday to Saturday, some Sundays with performances. And this was then, this time I moved by myself to Hamburg. So I was on myself for the, on, by, on my own for the first time. I was 18, so it was like, again this whole new this whole new world to take in did you speak german and, well i had german in school in france but it was it it was very uh, theoretic it wasn't that practical so i i had very good grades for my exams at the end of my final year in school but when i got to hamburg I, I got to <laughs> i got to the to the to the um, to the restaurant at the school and I realized I didn't know how to ask for chicken or vegetables and I didn't know oh. what any of those things were in German when I could write thesis and like write, you know, little excerpts of, of books and like talk about philosophy in German and the concept of exchanges in German. But simple thing as asking for direction or asking for food, I, I didn't know how to do. So again, yeah, whole new, whole new training, whole new, whole new set of, of skills that I had to, to pick up on, on the go. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And how come how come you chose Hamburg then? Was there a specific reason why you went to Germany after Paris? Oh, there was. <laughs> so, yes, there was. There definitely was. Um the only reason really is because of John Neumeyer. So, he is the director of the Hamburg Ballet and he's been a choreographer for I think over 60 years. And he's been in Hamburg for very soon, 50 years. He is one of the most major figure of the choreographic world and of the ballet world in the, in the, in the past century. He's developed his own, um, his own language, his own ballet language, and his own, almost his own technique in a way, very much in the same way that Balanchine has in America in his time. And um, so he's, he's, He's been my idol for, since the minute I discovered about him, he became my idol. And I was absolutely 
dying to work with him and I was dying to be in his productions and do his ballets. And if I was looking at other companies when I was in Paris Opera, I was looking for companies that would do his repertoire. So it was, it was my main focus. And when, when I was in the last year in Paris Opera, the, the school invited other schools to celebrate the 300 year anniversary of the Paris Opera Ballet School. So the Hamburg Ballet School came and I was introduced to the directors of the school. And then I got to meet John Neumeyer himself on the, on the premiere night. And through that, I got an audition to join the school. And then I, 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 I was offered a place to join the school and to hope to join the company after the training in the school, which of course wasn't anything for certain. Um, but it was the first step in the direction of working with with John. That that was that was the only reason why I decided to go to Germany. I love how your face lit up when you said about this. Like when you see that something inspires you, and it's just so <laughs> amazing how it changes your whole like body language. So I was like, yes. <laughs> well, it's like it's it was it was quite incredible because um, I sort of worked on his style when I was in Toulouse. So that was when I was you know like. 13 or something and through that through school I discovered I discovered his work and I I dived further into his work and I started researching and then when I was in Paris they would do ballets of his and I would go to see them and learn more about them and learn about him in dance history and you know watch videos and and understand how it all fit together in the history of dance and the fact that it that it's happening now that is that he's alive and working and that there there is a there was a possibility to maybe meet him one day work with him one day it was fascinating because a lot of things resonated with me in the sense of he uses a sense of theatricality because he he adapts a lot of plays he has adapted a lot of plays by shakespeare he has adapted um some chekhov he has adapted a lot a lot a lot of of literature to dance and the way he does that and the way he tells a story has fascinated me because i realized later that storytelling is what interests me most in in theater and Dance doesn't have that much storytelling, especially in the big classics. It's a lot about, you know, the technique and, and they're more like big legends or big myths, but they're not really complex stories and complex psyches of characters that are being, you know, that are that are evolving before your eyes through through an emotional journey. It's more so a prince and a princess and a and a bad and a bad and an evil guy or something like that. So the way that he approached ballet and and evening ballets and how he told the story was fascinating to me when I discovered about it. And then his movement and his sense of his his identity, that the identity of his movement was something that that I felt at home in, that I felt that I could that I could really embody well and that I could that I could execute well. So this sort of Everything aligning all of a sudden was like, I, I need to meet him, work with him. And in fact, I was lucky enough to be chosen by him to join his company. And then I've worked with him for five years and I was in his creations. And, you know, it was all mind blowing, really. If I tell my 13 year old self that he would get to work with John Neumeyer in his company, as part of his company, have rehearsals with him in person over such a long period of time, um, I don't think I would have believed myself. <laughs> <laughs> but you did it. You did it. <laughs> and I did it. And it's, yeah, it's very, and it's very interesting because it's, it's brought me a lot. And it's also allowed me to reflect and to discover what I want to do more, more in depth. And, and really this aspect of storytelling has stuck with me since and during and since. And, and I think that's why I made the switch to more storytelling by wanting to go into musical theater. I think that's where it ties in because as much as John's work is fascinating and has thrilled me while I was working with him, I'm missing I'm missing something. I'm missing other mediums of expression that can help bring the story even further and that can delve into individuality and into yeah, psyche even more. So, so I, I needed, I needed, I needed, I needed a bit more. <laughs> and how did you manage to achieve that a bit more and go about that switch from dancing to more musical theater? Well, 
I think the leap wasn't that wasn't that big because because theater is such a part of my identity. Um, so it's never really left me. I mean, I've I've kept my parents have kept being actors. So at home, the the topics would always be around theater. But I think the another thing that has always sort of fascinated me and really drawn me in is singing and. I never, while I was training to be a dancer, I never really had the luxury of taking time for anything else than dance. Um, so I didn't really have the opportunity to train as a singer while I was training as a dancer. I couldn't, I couldn't really cut myself in too many, in too many parts. I already had school and dance, and that was already a lot on my teenage plate. <laughs> But when I joined the company, all of a sudden I was earning money. And I had some free time, not a lot, but some free time that I could invest in in ways that I wanted. And I realized quite quickly that that j just dancing wasn't wasn't enough for me, and that I needed to further myself, develop myself. And I think I also realized that I thought becoming a professional ballet dancer was sort of a a finish line, and you 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 make it in a way. But there's I didn't feel I didn't feel finished when you know even myself I didn't feel like a finished product when I became a ballet dancer because I wasn't and I'm still not and I never will be um so joining joining the ballet company joining the Hamburg Ballet I realized I need to keep learning and I need to keep developing myself and I need to think further than my ballet career and what I'm going to do after and what else I want to explore so I guess it came quite naturally that the one thing that I could do very easily in the little bit of free time that I had with the money that I was earning was taking singing lessons. And in Hamburg, I was very lucky that I that there was such a lively and, and magnetic musical theater life. I started meeting people from the musical world and I started asking around for sing, singing lessons and for singing teachers. And, and that's how I started. I started with, with a singing teacher in Hamburg called Stephanie Chuppe. Um, if she listens to this, I send her my love <laughs> and my gratitude for starting me off because that's how I that that's how I sort of broke the ice with singing and I started re re adopting my voice and being being comfortable again with my voice that I hadn't used in a very long time since I was a kid and I could do different things because dance when I was a kid wasn't taking so much of my life but it had been a while and little by little it became more and more pleasurable and and I switched to a different um, singing teacher Olaf Franz in Hamburg as well and he he gave me a lot a lot of foundations of classical technique and i i discovered a, a different aspect of vocal technique and it was fascinating the range of things that was possible and he made me feel like i could become an opera singer if i wanted to if i put my mind to it and all of a sudden all these things were becoming possible if you gave it the time of day and if you gave it um you know the attention that it that it requires so it it became more and more clear in my head that singing was something that i could do and that that i could learn to do um and that i would enjoy learning to do and at the same time that it would stir me closer to my roots in a way with theater and with live acting theater as the the chinese say speaking theater talking theater as opposed to you know opera theater so it it felt like it felt like i was moving back to something that felt more natural to me when dance and ballet in in, in particular always felt like something that i needed to fit myself into and something that i needed to uh, to shape my body and myself to to be obviously you are now studying at ram in London, but yes. are in Paris now. Yes. <laughs> yes. Well, I'm in I'm in France. I'm not in in Paris exactly. I'm more in, in the countryside, and I'm so blessed to be able to you know breathe fresh air. And you're in Switzerland yourself, so you you get quite a bit of fresh air as well, don't you? Yes. Yes. The nature is surrounding us. <laughs> That's beautiful. So so I'm so thankful for that. Yes, I'm studying at RAM at the Royal Academy of Music. I I can tell you, I did not believe my ears or my eyes. I did not believe anything when I read that. I got 
accepted. For me to get into a music conservatoire was just insane. I had been looking a lot at American universities. Uh, I had been looking at basically the people that I admired. So I looked at all these actors that I thought were fantastic and that were triple threats and that knew how to dance and sing and act amazingly and that were on TV shows and on stage and you know doing concerts and and I was wondering how do you become you know so so versatile so multi-talented and so I looked at their at the universities they went to and I was I was a bit taken aback because it felt like I needed real training like basic fundamental training but Imagining myself joining a four years BA course, although I was already 22, 23, thinking that I had started my professional career and that I would stop so soon to go on to four years of training and thinking also about the cost of living in America and going to an American university. All of that felt very overwhelming and not quite right because I, I needed basic training, but I also needed to be encouraged to join professional life quite quickly again. And I was told about RAM. I, I didn't think about, I don't know why, I didn't think about training in the UK until at some point in 2018. And all of a sudden it was like, oh my God, of course, you know, London is an hour away from Paris to start with. It's Europe. So it's not that crazy of a cultural shock. And the, the MA uh, at RAM is a year. And when I read the description of the course, it was encouraging people with previous experience on stage, whether it be in musical theater, in music, or in something entirely different, even maybe not on stage, some professional experience. When, when I saw that they were encouraging people with this background, I thought, oh my God, this is it. Th this is me. And the other thing that was very interesting to me is that they were saying for, for those people who want to shift their journey and help them stir in a new direction. And I was like, oh my God, they are describing literally where I am standing right now. So it, it, felt, it felt very, very ideal. And yet I was sort of like, but it's a music conservatory. I am not a musician. I'm a dancer who's learning to sing. Can I, can I aspire to be, you know, in a, in, surrounded by musicians? It turns out I can, I guess. Of course you can. <laughs> I think I still cannot really believe it. <laughs> it, will, you'll, it will always be magical, I think. When Every time you get into like big schools, like even I know like Paris Opera was like a way back, but like, you know, you were so young and you got in. That's so special. And it's always going to be like, wow, I it got really in. Is. And yeah. I, that's never going to go away. So it'll be always like yeah. that for Ram as well. <laughs> That's true. That's true. And I guess it's just one thing after the other when you really want something and it happens or or something in the same vein happens. It's 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 quite incredible. And life really has these ways to surprise you with things you never would have thought. Yeah, I guess there's kind of a trend there, isn't there, of things that I didn't believe I could do and I, and I end up being able to. Um, I mean, I, 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 I did work towards it as well. Um, and I and I and I got as ready as I could to audition. And it was it was crazy timing because I, I recorded my tapes to send to Ram at the beginning of the first lockdown. So I wanted to have I wanted to have an accompanist with me and my singing teacher to coach me on the songs that I was sending. And all of a sudden, nothing was possible because they everybody got scared and we had to you know stay home all of a sudden and they were it's when it really started to get scary so I had to do it at home sort of like in between moving back home and it was it was a bit it was a bit crazy and I had already quit my job in the Hamburg Ballet not really knowing what was going to happen afterwards then I sent my tapes to Ram and I didn't send to anywhere else actually and then we were on lockdown and it was like well we don't know when anything's gonna happen again and I had quit my job and I was my my acceptance at RAM was standing and I was like okay this is the big leap I guess but I guess it's just a, te a testimony to how ready I was to switch to something new my five years in the Hamburg Ballet were very rich it was such an amazing experience with lots of highs and lows and and a lot of you know uh, people that I met and people that I 
went went on really well with and people I didn't get along with at all and we worked on so many different ballets like we did so much repertoire and it was it was a lot but after five years I was ready to do something new and the decision had been dawning on me for a while doing my singing and doing other things and and seeing everything around me the thought process behind behind moving to something different and moving to musical theater had been going on for a while and I was ready and I think COVID or not I think I would have still I, if if I knew that COVID would have was going to happen, I think I would have still um, decided to move on, not knowing whether something was going to work out or not. And I mean, I couldn't be happier. I couldn't be happier uh, that, <laughs> that, that I that I got that I am in RAM and that I'm training in this crazy year. It's it's really great. Yeah, it's wonderful. Yeah, it's good timing. Obviously, you're still in it, but can you tell me like one thing that you have learned so far that like in RAM compared to your ballet journey? Oh, um, <laughs> I think what is what is very relieving to me personally, um, starting this actress training is that the faculty is here to accompany you and support you in in the pursuit of of becoming this your own best self and and the the version of yourself that you want to become so the focus is on who you are and what you want to do and what direction you want to go in whereas a ballet training is very much towards shaping you in the form of the ideal towards which you reach as a dancer so it's a lot more formative in the sense that the ballet technique is sort of shaping you and molding you into a dancer. And this process is kind of leaving some of your identity behind, some of it, because I read Peter Brook saying that dancers have to be a little bit anonymous on stage so they can fit in an ensemble and so they can translate the vision of the choreographer. Whereas actors have to come in with all their personalities, all themselves, and all they are as a person, and all the messy and all the and all the complex and all the and all the trauma and all the happiness and all the positivity and all of it has to be brought. And I f really feel like at RAM they are helping us and pushing us along the way to discover ourselves fully and to decide for ourselves what kind of performance we, performers we want to be. And to me, at least, that that is hugely um, relieving because there was an aspect to ballet that I never really fit into. Um, there was always something that that was there was something in the mold that was a bit too tight for me and that I could never really get into. I feel like I'm freeing up and that I'm, yeah, um, encouraged to look at all those things that used to come out of the frame before. <laughs> yes, embracing it all. <laughs> embracing it all. Yeah, the tears, the snot, the everything. <laughs> all part of it. <laughs> <laughs> And obviously your professional career before going to RAM, you were lucky enough to like go around and tour the world yes, as well, weren't you? Yes, yes. It was amazing. Yeah. So you saw so much already. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually sometimes, sometimes I, I list things in my head, like places that I've been and I actually can't quite believe the opportunities that me and my colleagues have had in the Hamburg Ballet. Um, it's 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 amazing. Going to Venice was on my was on my bucket list, and um, we got to perform at La Fenice. And actually, that was my last performance with the Hamburg Ballet. I didn't know it was gonna be, but it was just before the COVID out outbreak, and I got to perform in Venice in a piece that I wasn't the creation for. It was the first piece that I wasn't the creation for when I when I just joined the company, and so being able to go to these places. My first year we did a tour. We went first to Chicago, then to Tokyo, then back to Hamburg. And we had five productions in the span of like four weeks or it was insane. And 
it's such a great experience just to like go to these places and experience the cities and experience the different you know audiences and and the different ways of life that you get to have a glimpse of while living there but it's also teaching you so much on your artist artistry and on how you function as an artist and when you're when you're taken out of your usual surroundings how to function and it's been it's been so incredible it's been i've learned so much have you picked up any like traditions that you saw people doing before shows in different countries or like obviously the different audiences, how they reacted differently as well? Well, it's interesting because when the com- when we left Hamburg as a company, it was really like we were almost, you know, scooping the building up and bringing it somewhere else. So our traditions stayed very contained within what we do. But coming from France, for sure, it was very different. There's there's a whole huge, enormous set of of beliefs in France. You should never wear green because the the fact is that costumes used to be dyed in arsenic to turn them green so when performers would wear them and sweat their the arsenic would get into their skin and it would kill them oh so God. it became it but it wasn't known at the time i guess that it was a poison or i'm not quite sure but it became a belief that it's bad luck to wear green because you're gonna die if you do on stage um there's well wicked is doomed <laughs> i guess so <laughs> Do not paint your face with arsenic alphabets. Do not paint it with arsenic. Um, (laughs) And there's a specific type of flowers that you shouldn't offer actresses because they're flowers that you're supposed to put in cemeteries. You should not whistle in a theater because that's how they... But I think that's quite common in Germany as well. I think so. I had a French ballet teacher and she always got really angry if anyone would whistle. If you whistled. I think the the root of that is that technicians and stagehands used to whistle to um, warn people that they would throw something from a height in the theater. So so if you heard a whistle, it meant that something was going to come from this from from the ceiling. So I think that's that's the thing. And actually, a lot of a, a lot of the vocabulary in France of theater comes from the world of the marine and the sea because the stagehands used to be people that would sail on ships so maybe i'm making this up but i think also like rabbits and like talking about rabbits wasn't allowed because rabbits on ships would be very dangerous because they would gnaw at the at the at the ropes and stuff so all these kind of crazy things um really really a lot of crazy things and actually in germany it felt like there wasn't that much apart from saying toy 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 yeah i feel like that's like you know common thing you say toy 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 and i find myself saying it in in the uk and people look at me like what (laughs) i'm like right break a leg that's what you say here well to be fair you've lived there for like five years and like done all these performances with a German company that yeah, it's engraved yeah. in you. <laughs> yeah, I've lived there for seven years actually. So that it's even it's even more ingrained in me, yeah. And before that before that I used to say merde. So the, the French sort of good luck word is is merde, which means literally shit. Which I don't know, oh and you're you're not supposed to say thank you. If you say thank you it cancels it. Um you have to say I take it when somebody when somebody wishes it upon you Um, and if you say good luck it's also the opposite it brings you bad luck that's a lot of rules you have to remember there Leroy (laughs) it's a lot (laughs) I know it is a lot it's crazy but I guess to me it's like it's it's family superstition almost because again ingrained in me from the youngest age yeah But that's wonderful. It's wonderful to have little traditions and different superstitions. Like, it it just makes it, like, whole. (laughs) Yeah, it makes you feel at home. It makes you feel safe in a way in that surrounding. Yeah, I I actually, well, obviously I love it, but, um, and I miss it. (laughs) It will be back soon. Yes. We're coming towards the end of the interview, and there's always a little block of questions that I ask the guests. In your opinion, what unites us as creatives? I think the way we devote ourselves to a to to a common creation, the way we get involved and and the way we we put all our tools um in service of our creation, I think this unites us this sort of energy towards towards the the finished product or the the energy that we put in the process and I think the other thing along that journey is 
our imagination and this this ability to tap into you know our more playful youthful self and to put that in service of of the community and of of creation mm. does that make sense it does <laughs> it's a beautiful answer <laughs> um and what's the biggest thing that you have learned on your journey so far wow that that's that's a very good question because i really feel like that there is there is so much to piece together and i feel like i'm a little bit all over the place being in the middle of training at the moment i think the big cliche of the journey being the goal is very true it's it's so easy and i sp- i spent a lot of time um in the ballet company as a professional ballet dancer thinking oh i want to get to my goals i want to get to the end game i want to i want to be doing this role and i want to be doing that role and all the time that i was focusing on what i wanted and what i didn't have i stopped looking at what i was actually doing and what what was making up my everyday and what was making up m- my journey and there there was a point where i turned around and i was like I already did very interesting things and this brought me this and this particular role brought me that and I as a ballet dancer I didn't get to the point that I wanted to get in the Hammer Ballet and in the company but if I look at the journey that I had it was very interesting and it brought me so much and I think that's what I'm trying to remind myself in this in this new chapter of my journey that everything I do and everything we do as as performers and as creatives is in itself an end goal it's it's already because it's our reality it's already making up the fabric of our path and of our of our of our lives and it's it's something we'll be able to look back on and realize that it brought us to where we are And I think the other thing is other people because this journey isn't done by yourself and I I gained so much by being surrounded by like-minded people and I realized that the people I shared most with artistically became my closest friends and there there's something quite unexplicable about how how close I got to the people who joined the company with me um five years ago six years ago and there's something inexplicable happening between the people i'm in school with at the moment the people i was in school with in hamburg and in paris opera there's always something that is that that you cannot go on with without um if you don't have people around you that are supporting you and people that are directing you also um i find that that's something that is essential to to my developing is having people on the other side guiding me and tutoring me towards where i want to go like a like a plant you know you put a little wood like a little bit of a little stick to like yeah. help the plant go the other way if it's if it's going too too far so i think that's been very important for me and is there anything you would like to see more or less of in the creative industry in general absolutely i think especially from my from my dance training it seems very important to me that we should um focus on mental health and on physical health and on well-being a lot more than we are at the moment it's already improving everything is is going forward and everything is is getting better but there is still there are not enough schools at least ballet school that are invested and interested in their in their pupils um well-being and 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 mental welfare and i think they 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 sort of ignore it because they feel like the training will get you where you need to be and if you're strong enough you'll make it um but there's so much more there's so much more to art than performance and 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 you know delivery there's so much that goes on behind it and i think the other side of that if we nurture everybody the same way and if we have less of a focus on end product will be able to reach these goals that we're setting ourselves as a generation of diversity and inclusivity because everybody will be nurtured and my hope is that it becomes like a no-brainer to have stories about LGBTQI+ people and stories about people from diverse backgrounds and it will not be oh my god look there is a musical about a lesbian couple and guess what they kiss at the end um it will not be a big event it will be well i went to see this play what is it about it's about a couple of male the females of 
black people, of Asians, of mixed race, and I hope it can become just a level ground and sort of the basis of 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 creativity that we can look at every story, everybody's story, anybody's story, and not make it a big event, make it just normal. Oh, that's beautiful. I hope so too, that it will go into that direction. It is, it is stirring. It's, 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 it's a big, it's a big journey and it's, it's stirring in that direction. We just have to keep working at it and, and be patient with each other, um, in educating each other. And we all have a lot to learn because there are so many, so many experiences that are foreign to us, um, that we, we have a lot of progress to do, but I think we're, I think we're, we're making it little by little. Yeah. Slowly, but surely. <laughs> exactly. Absolutely. And my ultimate favorite question, which the guests usually hate, but, uh, oh, well, I'm sorry. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> what makes you unique as a creative? Yes, I do hate that question. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that is so hard. That is too hard. Can I, can I have a pass? <laughs> um, you can have a pass and tell me what your favorite, um, your favorite food is. <laughs> I'm going to have, I'm going to have a crack at the other question. Um, okay. Cause my favorite food is probably anything sweet and uh, yeah, not that interesting. <laughs> um, oh my God. I sound so arrogant, arrogant to myself, just in my head. No, um, it's self-love. It's fine. Self-love. Okay, self-love, self-love, self-love. I think my curiosity, maybe. And, and yeah, I think my curiosity um, is quite a defining feature. And unfortunately, it's paired with, with a lot of perfectionistic aspects. But I think that's also that's also something that defines me in the sense that I I want to explore a lot and I want to further myself in a lot of different areas and I have the will and the the ambition for myself to do a good job in all of those things. I think that's I think that's I don't know. Is that unique? I don't know. That's It is very that's unique. Me. <laughs> that's it's me. wonderfully unique. Um is there anything else you would like to share with the listeners before we end the interview today? I mean, I don't, I don't know if I'm in any place to give advice, but what, what I've, what I've discovered and what, what I've struggled with is having goals, having ambitions and feeling stuck on the, on the road to reaching those, those goals and actually realizing and allowing myself to keep questioning my aspirations, keep questioning the ways I'm taking to reach those aspirations and allowing myself to take side roads and to experiment with different things and to go off the beaten grounds and do the opposite of what people had told me was the right thing. And I think trying to find this freedom and to keep questioning your goals and yourself and to keep looking at your surrounding with gratefulness, but also with wanting more and and finding within yourself the ways to go there, the things that work for you. I think this is what I'm this is this is what I want I would like to be able to help people do yeah beautiful those were really really beautiful words for the end <laughs> yay I'm glad I hope it ha I really do hope it it helps kids that are in ballet schools and that are that have teachers that are that are tough on them and while they believe themselves that they can do something great and that that people in front of them don't believe in them or or don't think they are up to the dreams and the goals they've set to themselves that they can they can find the resources within themselves to do so i'm sure they will we always need to keep being dreamers and chase that life. yes absolutely absolutely especially in these times mm. wonderful thank you so much for coming on and sharing your journey and and your honesty it was such a pleasure to chat to you today no thank you it was it was so great it's it's very nice it's a very nice time to reflect as well so thank, thanks a lot I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Artist Avenue will be back next Tuesday with another exciting interview. Make sure to follow us on social media and keep up to date with all the artists and their wonderful projects. Your support for this podcast honestly means the world to me. For now, keep smiling, keep listening, and I'll see you all next week.